Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable. This is the Discipleship Podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. It's brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. We encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. We have Tim Michelangeli, Scott Slater, Dave Arnold, Spencer Snow here as we are walking through the Baptist Faith and Message, Chapter 17, on religious liberty. Religious uh, liberty. Uh, liberty, liberty. Um, makes me think about Jerry. Jerry Falwell. What? Liberty University. Oh. You got to talk about Liberty Mutual commercials. Yeah, Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. <laughs> um, so uh, this is something that is a... Uh, uh, been an important thing in Baptist life uh, ever since our English Baptist forefathers in the 1600s uh, came on the scene. This has been something that's been uh, pretty <clears throat> pretty important to our uh, religious tradition. It says this, God alone is Lord of the conscience, and he has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are contrary to his word or not contained in it. Church and state should be separate. The state owes to every church protection and full freedom in the pursuit of its spiritual ends. In providing for such freedom, no ecclesiastical group or denomination should be favored by the state more than others. Civil government being ordained of God, it is the duty of Christians to render loyal obedience thereto in all things not contrary to the revealed will of God. The church should not resort to the civil power to carry on its work. The gospel of Christ uh, contemplates spiritual means alone for the pursuit of its ends. The state has no right to impose penalties for religious opinions of any kind. The state has no right to impose taxes for the support of any form of religion. A free church in a free state is the Christian ideal. And this implies the right of free and unhindered access to God on the part of all men and the right to form and propagate opinions in the sphere of religion without interference by the civil power. Okay, so religious liberty, religious uh, freedom, and this deals a lot with uh, uh, the uh, an understanding of the relationship between the church and the state or the civil government. Um Right away, it's all founded, first of all, on this point about conscience. It says God alone is Lord of the conscience, and he has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, which are contrary to his word or not contained in it. And it seems that this is uh, really pulling from Matthew. Uh, it makes me think about Matthew chapter 15, where he says, you teach his doctrines um, as, uh, as the, the traditions of men and bind people's uh consciences what they think is right or true and what they are required to do um, to the uh, commandments of men instead of to the word of God. Why is this an important doctrine, the idea of conscience, um, as the foundation for our understanding of the relationship between church and state? Any ideas about conscience? Are you conscious? Yeah. Um. I mean, as Baptists, this is a big deal to us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we want to worship how we feel the Word of God tells us to worship, and it binds our conscience to it, right, to be able to do that. And so we have a strong belief that there's no authority, man-made authority over us to determine what that is and what that should mm-hmm. look like, right? Mm-hmm. Um I'd be interested to know maybe historically, maybe you know this, Spencer, Dave or Scott, one of you, but like, so during the Reformation, was much of this happening 
the pulling away? Was there like a problem? Um, so the Roman Catholic Church at that point was very intertwined with government. And even uh, as the Reformation hit, like England and stuff, it seems they didn't necessarily pull mm-hmm. away from that mm-hmm. aspect. It was more the theological reasons for the Reformation. And political reasons. Yeah. There, there are a lot of political reasons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when did we see a big push for this, the separation, like people having a problem with the state running the church or the church running the state historically? Well, I think there was always a tug of war in the uh, Middle Ages between the power of the church and the power of the state. Sometimes I think the state was more, the you know, kings might be more powerful. At other times, um, the uh, pope would would have a, a, a larger degree of, of authority. There was always, I think, this, mm-hmm. this uh, tug of war, I think, between the two. Um, it's interesting, uh, Luther... Whenever he, uh, right, so one of the reasons Luther was breaking away was because he thought Scripture alone is the final authority, and he thought the the Roman Catholic Church was requiring things mm-hmm. that were not contained in Scripture. But in in actually arguing for uh, and calling for a defense of the Church, he actually seems to be using the civil government to help accomplish those means. Hmm. So, uh, you know, one of the things that's fascinating to think about as, as we think this is different as we leading to us as Baptist, one of the, one of the, um, uh, statements of the Lutheran confessions is the, the, uh, confession, the Augsburg confession, mm-hmm. which was written like in 1530, but it's, it was signed by these electors, these these uh, these princes, these people who were part of, that were rulers, it's kind of fascinating. It was signed by um, government people, not religious people necessarily. Um, and so I just think that um, there was always this this balancing act between the church and the state. And sometimes the church tried to use the state to help it out. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. For other purposes yeah. and such. And I think it was kind of <clears throat> exasperated when you know the the colonists, the Puritans came over, leaving England and, and Holland because they the oversaturation or the over uh, rule of the state, especially with the Church of England. And I think it was almost a, a, obviously a reaction to that. So when the colonies started, you know, the congregational churches started and all the seminaries started, there was a, it, it, that's where I think the separation began more because there was a, such a reaction or a response against the oppression of the Church of England. Yeah, and well, that's and, a lot of our country's well, origins. And and the yeah. Puritans, when they first came over, yeah. they weren't necessarily against an established church. No, they were against the wrong the, established yes. church yes. that was opposed to them. Yeah, um, not and, the, not having free worship, for example, correct, and, and oppression. Correct. So they they wanted they mm-hmm. still were all for uh, one of the things here. It says taxing for yeah. the support of religion. They were all for that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it yeah, was just true. for their religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, the conscience is very important here, and that's the foundation for um, the individual conscience, for this uh, understanding of, of church and state. So, I've kind of, set, I've kind of um, uh, laid it out here kind of quickly. First of all, the state is God-ordained. That's what this says. Civil government is ordained. It's put in place by God. Um, Paul says that in Romans chapter 13, they are servants of God, deacons of God, literally, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that's important because when we look at government, we can't say that God didn't put them in place because he did. Um, they are they uh, they are underneath uh, his his power, his rule, um, and his reign. But while they're God ordained, they are separate from the church. The state is distinct from the church. That's what this also says. That yeah. they're they're separate. Um, we believe that, right? As Baptists, um, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that they're that they're separate. And this is then when and and also I should say this. I think all basic religious traditions would say there's a distinction between the church and the state. The question is, what should that relationship look like? Um, and this is where point uh, C that I've got here is that this statement says that the state owes protection and full freedom to every church. Now, this is a distinctive doctrine that the state, because other, for instance, uh, whether it be uh, Roman Catholicism, or if you're looking at the Protestants with, for instance, or a Lutheran or a Reformed group, um, they thought the state had a right to require everybody to be Lutheran or Reformed or belong to the Church of England or whatever. This is saying the state owes protection and full freedom to every church, not simply one particular kind of church. Um, but this creates challenges. Because then this means you've got to be willing to live with diversity mm-hmm. in this world, right? Um, you yeah. guys want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I feel like we faced that when uh, like 9-11 happened and stuff. And I remember uh, a mosque wanting to open up somewhere in that area. And there was a big fight about that, like how wrong this is, you know. And uh, even some Christians would say that. And it was like, well, well you're pushing back against religious liberty then. Like, do you know what's happening if you're going to take a stand and say that they can't do this uh, mosque here? Then why do you have the right to do your church there or wherever it is? Um, and so yeah, it's a it's a touchy thing. It's a I think it's important. And you're right, Spencer, because then you have to be able to live with diversity. And the big struggle and with, we celebrate diversity, don't we? Yeah, yeah. But the struggle with that when it comes to religion. <laughs> is I think you would follow the religion you do because you think you have the truth. Yeah. And therefore you think they don't. Yeah. And that's a problem, right? I mean, that's a struggle. I think that's where it gets really hard. Yeah. Is because like battle lines are drawn. Well, I think that's where um, the state is, uh, it's really, we talk about it's formed by the people, but in, Really, it's it's a very involuntary thing. I don't get to choose where I'm born, right? Or where what state I'm under, but the church is a voluntary organization, just like all other religious organizations should be voluntary organizations. Mm-hmm. So the 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 government underneath the state it should be very diverse. As far as we're not saying everybody's right, but you should be able to be a a Jew or a Mormon or a you know, belong to a Catholic church or whatever. Um, and we should be willing to to allow for that diversity in the state, in the country. But whenever it comes to our local church, we have every right, because it's a voluntary organization, to be very strict with our membership requirements as mm-hmm. far as what you have to believe and how you should live. Um, those are two different things. Right. And I think that's very important um, uh, to remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But we still have to live amongst the diversity of other religions, and then how yeah. do we as a church handle that? You know, sure. when you feel others are encroaching, or maybe in your town, um, 
the mayor is of a different religion than what you are, right? And he's appointing people into spots that are of his belief. And so now that's influencing maybe how some decisions are being made because you can't separate the religion from the individual because that's going to impact how they make decisions and and do things. So then how are you going to handle that as someone who's different? That's the diversity thing. I think that's part of the reason why to take it on maybe on a bigger scale, the reason why we wouldn't want to say that as a nation we want to enforce Christianity in people's lives is because we recognize that that's not going to be true Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. going to be a farce. It's not going to be real in their life. And so in the same way, like a, in a local government, I wouldn't want to force Christian morals or, or specific, the, maybe not morals, but specific theological beliefs through government because mm-hmm. that's not... That's not affecting their conscience. You can't, like, God alone is the Lord of the conscience, right? which means God alone can affect it mm-hmm. in that yep. sense. Like, he's, yep. he alone is able to work in a person's life in a way that will actually change them in a real way. Sure. Meaning, uh, you know, if a, if a child was born into the Church of England back in the, you know, 16, 1700, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, is, that, is that right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. yeah. But like, uh, you know, in there, like, or if, Church of England, 16, yeah. 1700s. Yeah. 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 Is that right? Yeah, okay. England, All right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, if they were born into that and they were baptized into that church, does that mean that person's a Christian? No, it doesn't. So that's why I'm like, you know, enforcing Christian theological teaching in any instance, that's not even really what we want because that's not going to result in, in genuine spiritual transformation in that person's life mm-hmm. in that sense yeah but in caring for people i think as christians we would say we do believe that the christian moral ethic is helpful for society as a whole and so it is why we would fight for laws to be made against murder stealing things that the bible speaks of because we think it is generally going to be good for society sure right as a whole sure. which isn't wrong to do that's not the separation of church well and, state, and we right? also would make a case from natural law mm-hmm. for those things because we would say those things are written on the hearts of everybody yeah. not simply found in scripture they're found in the consciences of, mm-hmm. of all societies every society understands at some level it's wrong to commit murder in some form or to steal somebody else's stuff or yeah so i think we would also make a natural law argument um, and as I think well for that. there's a maybe a distinction that needs to be made too, because like in the example you brought up, Tim, of like if a person of a different religion becomes a mayor of your town and they're appointing people to be this and to do this, just the understanding of religious liberty and not forcing people to act or believe a certain thing, that doesn't uh, a commitment to that does not mean that you don't feel like you're allowed to tell people they're wrong. Like, you actually can. Like, that's what's being protected here. Sure. Is the ability to publicly disagree with someone. It's closely connected to our, you know, understanding of freedom of speech. You know, the religious freedom includes this idea Mm -hmm. of being able to tell that person that believes differently, I'm I'm fine if you want to believe that, but I'm also fine telling you you're wrong. Right. (laughs) You're completely wrong about this. Right. But you have a right in our civil society to be wrong. Yeah. On those matters. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Do you guys know, maybe I'm just having a blank here, but in this, uh, it says how the state owes to every church protection and full freedom in the pursuit of its spiritual ends. Where do we base that in scripture? 
or is it just would it just be an inference of like God ordained the civil government to do its role? It should it should then leave the church to do its role. I mean, is that just like an inference there that they're getting, or is there? I was looking to see in the different copies we have the Baptist Faith Message. They had like footnotes that led, but they don't. They just have a bunch of scripture at the bottom. So I don't know like which one would yeah. be for what thing. I was just curious yeah. to that because I don't know if that I couldn't think of a verse that I could go to to say, look, the Bible's very clear that America owes it to us to protect our freedom of religion. Yeah, I think for I think probably all Christians, regardless of um would argue that the state has no right to uh, persecute the church. Mm-hmm. Now, different Christians would, would differ on whether or not the state has the right to um, uh, uphold and point to and say that church is the official church. That's the good church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There are some Christians, and actually we should be honest about this, probably um, a... <laughs> I don't know if you would say it's the majority report, but many Christians in the history of the world have said that that state actually does have a responsibility to do much of that. Um, Part of the problem with some of that might be that you're going to have to pull from the Old Testament to make arguments for that, uh, from Old Testament Israel, where the kings would enforce Mm -hmm. religion. Our big argument would be, well, that was in the, while, while the God of the Old Testament is the same God, um, there we live under a different dispensation now, a different uh, administration since mm-hmm. Christ has come, and so we don't have a church state anymore, um, like there was with Old Testament Israel, and so you have to be very careful about applying applying those verses right um, to yeah. the New Testament church That's or the true. New Testament situation. Yeah, I just wonder because I mean it says it says the state owes to every church protection and full freedom in the pursuit of its spiritual ends. But right. what about when the spiritual end is very bad? Mm-hmm. What about when the spiritual end is kill the infidel? Well, I think that's <laughs> yeah, what, I exactly. think that, I would assume that that would then define that as not a spiritual end, right? But that's the problem. If we're getting a little more current events, that's the problem that we as Christians are starting to face in our country, mm-hmm. aren't we? I mean, we're yeah. facing some things where they're saying, "Well, your beliefs." aren't valid spiritual ends mm-hmm. because you're not mm-hmm. loving everybody. Right. I mean, we're starting to, uh, yep. definitely see that play out. Yep. Um, which is new. Uh, I don't know if we could say any generation before ours now has really faced that mm-hmm. in our country. Maybe. I don't know. Um, which makes our relationship with the state a little different than mm-hmm. what it was, uh, before. Uh, I think there's coming a time probably pretty soon where churches might not receive the same tax benefits that they once did. Yeah. They could still be a church, yeah. but if you're going to teach this or you're not going to say this, uh, we're going to have to revoke this tax break. Um, we see it with pastors currently with pastors have like a housing allowance thing that people tell me is an advantage. I don't know because we also are self-employed and seem to get taxed pretty hard on that. I don't <laughs> know if it balances out or not. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of talk that that that's going to go away, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and just just some different things that we see changing. And I guess the argument, like for these pastors should get the text for this, and then they go to like that, like you should be protecting our religious freedom. And mm-hmm. sometimes I think, like, I don't know if that's a religious freedom for you to get a tax break. For well, your I think house and different I think things. religious freedom, where that comes in in this conversation, is that we as pastors shouldn't just want that for us, but for like leaders of of Muslims 
and mm-hmm. and Jew, rabbis and sure you know things do they call, what do they call leaders of muslims I, imams I, imams i thought mm-hmm. that i didn't want to say be wrong though like we should just as much advocate that they receive that benefit as well right so same thing of like mm-hmm. they want to build a mosque in new york city we should be for that sure because we want to be able to build a church in new york city sure right that's where i think religious freedom comes in is where it's we're not just for the protection for ourselves but for everyone. Right. Um, and you're right. We are in a time in history where it it seems like it's not been here before. But I think some of where this this one is coming from is also like just trying to be a student of history and see what good it's led to in the past of, mm-hmm. if any good, of enforcing religion mm-hmm. upon people. Well, and case in point, Constantine, you know, and when he became allegedly became a Christian by seeing a vision when he was out in the woods hunting. And then as an emperor basically declared that the Roman empire is now a Christian empire. So no matter, you know, what you think or whatever you are as a, in the Roman empire, you are mandated to be a Christian. And that kind of institutionalized many way in many ways, the, the, the church and this church and state really didn't have clear separation there. And, uh, I think that, um, it's interesting we're living in times where it's like, you know, Islam and, you know, Hinduism or whatever here. Okay, yeah, we can let them have this and that, but oh, you evangelicals, well, you know, and there's now the discrepancies against us. And that's, that's kind of what you were saying, Pastor Tim, that, that we're seeing these, this is a very different time where there's really not the religious freedom like, like we had before, where it's like, well, yeah, you can do that, but you have to love everybody. You have to be tolerant tolerant at all you know yeah i think oftentimes it, it, there's actually uh we're actually we're the we're the tolerance people mm-hmm. but we're tolerant because we disagree with people and we're okay with that what actually is it being is being done oftentimes is actually very intolerant um, and because the next point is that the state should not interfere in religious opinions and spheres the state has no right uh, as far as what this is saying um in the ideal um, the state should not be interfering in religious matters um, uh, with churches, um, disagreements. Now, you can be, you can, you, I guess, in a sense, what we're saying is you have the right to be a heretic mm-hmm. in, in, in a civil government. You don't have that right in a local church, Yeah. right? Um, and sometimes uh, liberty of conscience can be abused to the point to where it means a local church should just welcome everybody because we're all on some pathway to God. That's not what this is trying to defend. This is actually trying to defend a local church's uh, uh, ability to exclude people, Mm -hmm. but also not their ability to uh, uh, persecute people in the civil civil, uh, realm. So the state should not be a referee Mm. uh, between saying uh, the Baptists are in, the Lutherans are out. Um, That's that's not what the state, the state's not a good umpire. in that way, even though the state loves to think oftentimes that they are right. um, good good umpires. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, they should be impartial. So there shouldn't be favor shown to one group or denomination, right. which is what often happens in an established church. So for us in America, in, in America, we, uh, America, we, we, it's one of the things most people don't realize is that there were established churches even after the Constitution in the United States. 
they were at a state level until about the 1830s. The Congregationalists in New England were still the established church right. in mm-hmm. at least maybe it was Connecticut or one of the New England uh, states. And what that means is those those denominations were preferred by their state governments. They mm-hmm. may have even received tax money. Um, uh, and such. It's they, possible, yeah. because yeah, the First Amendment did not mean that states could not have established religions. It meant the national government could not create a United States church mm. for everybody because there still was established religion at the individual former colonies, individual states. Um, we still have this. We saw this, for instance, at the royal funeral. There is an established church in England, mm-hmm. the Church of England. Um, there is an official relationship between that church and uh, the monarch, uh, the queen, is, has, a, has a very uh, unique relationship to the Church of England that, for instance, she doesn't have to the Baptists in New, or not in New England, in England, or the Methodists in England, or the, uh, the Presbyterians in England. Or, like in Scotland, there is the Church of Scotland. Or the there's, Kirk. Yeah, the Kirk. <laughs> um, there's all of those things are... So, this, yeah, I'm just is, saying those are examples of modern day established yeah. religions. So this is very off topic, maybe, but yeah. So could there, like, so the queen just just died, and there's now a king, and so if, if like maybe like a couple more down the line, yeah, they they converted to to Catholicism. Yeah, what would that mean then for the monarchy? That actually almost came up because Charles before, like I don't know how long ago, but. There's a statement um, that the queen had that was like she was the head of the faith. Defender. Yeah. Defend, is that what it is? Defender, defender of, of the faith. faith. And he said, when I become king, I'm changing it to defender of faith. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to be specific anymore about what the faith was. Right. But he did. Ta- he is taking that title, the, the faith. faith. Yeah. But that would have been a problem. Within right. the Church of England, because what are they? Yeah, they right. would have had to answer. Well, that. I think I've heard too that um, Elizabeth's husband, who I think was like a, he was raised uh, Greek, um, but he grew up Orthodox, and I think I've heard it said that he said, "I became Anglican because I married the Queen, but I'm still Orthodox," or something like that, in his heart, basically. See, that just that, that illustrates you the know point what I mean. Yeah, of, that I made earlier yeah, of yeah, like. Right. <laughs> You can force somebody to say right. something outside, but that sure. doesn't change what right. they actually are. Yeah, sure. Exactly. That's sure. the whole point. Sure. Well, and I think, too, um, established religion usually does not. I mean, if you look at the state churches of Europe, um, most of them are in really bad shape. The most conservative established church in Europe is the Church of England. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't start ordaining women till the 90s. Mm-hmm. which is interesting compared to like, you know, us in the United States with the Episcopal church and other denominations where they were fairly avant-garde, you know, on the forefront on those things. Um, but uh, most state churches have not done well in history. They've actually uh, drifted away mm-hmm. um, yeah, from true. the faith. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, the, the state church, if they're going to continue to be the state church, but if the society around them is is progressing, quote unquote, in that sense, morally, well, if it's going to continue to be the state church, then the position of the church is going to have to change on issues, and sure. that's what you see happen, right, in those situations, right. Um, and uh, like I mean, that happened in the Church of Scotland. That happened, yeah. you said, in the Church yeah. of England. I think that happened during World War II in Germany. They used the church to get some ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Within that, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, it always it happens. Um, and so what we're saying is, is our government, the the Baptist view of what civil government should do is not to show favor to any ecclesiastical group, to any, you know, don't show favor to the Mormons, don't show favor to the Baptists, don't show favor to the Catholics, don't show favor to the Jews. Allow them all equally to exist, to fund themselves privately. And to disagree. And to disagree, and to and to publish those things that they have disagrees. So one of the things it explicitly says is no right to impose penalties for religious opinions. So, um, you know, and, uh, don't you can't... Uh, it's interesting in American history. This one of the ways this has happened. I'm not saying the government imposed any penalties on somebody, um, but they definitely. For instance, I know whenever, uh, for instance, JFK was running for president, the big question is: Can a Roman Catholic really be president of the U.S.? Because in the past, there had been a guy in the 1920s named Al Smith who ran for president, um, got defeated, I think, by Herbert Hoover. Um, but he was a Demo- he was a, a Catholic as well, and, and these questions were: Can a Roman Catholic be president of the United States? Um, Is it because they would be controlled by the? Pope? I think that was part of the concern. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, I'm not saying the government, the United States government, wasn't like officially hand slapping people, but that was a concern amongst people in in on the ground about can this can this work? Mm-hmm. And now it's funny today because. We don't think about that. I mean, we just we have a Catholic president right now, mm-hmm. Joe Biden. I mean, we that 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 question doesn't even come up in our minds anymore, really, um, uh, as far as those those concerns. So uh, it's just interesting. So it also says no right to impose taxes for the support of any form of religion. So you shouldn't take money, uh, and um, you know, the United States government shouldn't write a bill giving the uh, Southern Baptist Convention X number of dollars, mm-hmm. or to the ERLC or to the International Mission Board and write a grant, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. When I was in, in high school, there was a German foreign exchange student that I'd become friends with, and I already at that point decided I wanted to go into ministry, and they're asking how that worked, and I was like, I told them about it, and they were like, that seems really hard hmm. because like where they were, it's like if you were a, a minister in a church, you were you were paid by ta- with tax mm, money, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. it's like it was actually a really easy life. Right. You, you had like there was no concerns over finances or anything like sure. that. You would be taken care of. Right. I think for us today, um, I, I mean, I think one way to think about what is it like to have an established religion, I think the, one of the closest things we have is public schools. Because you, can, you don't have to be a part of the public school system. You can go private. But you're you're not going. But the thing that gets government money is the public school system. Mm-hmm. Similarly, if you're going to be a part of the church in those places, there's a public uh, church that gets tax dollars that you can get funded by and have uh, mm-hmm. good, you know. But there's also religious groups outside of that that are um, funded privately. I think that's a helpful. I, at least for me, that's the way I've thought about it. What would it be like to have to where it's like, oh, there's the local public school, there's the local public church. And you don't have to be a part of the public church if you don't want to, but mm. your tax dollars still will go to uh, yeah. support that. Somehow. Well, in our society, if you are a pastor of a public church, you probably wouldn't be paid very well at all. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Is this battle playing out a little bit in seminaries? Because uh, while churches don't get money... Um, some of its seminaries do, correct? Mm-mm. 
Oh, you mean for like for like uh, financial aid and uh, students being able to receive that? The college I went to, I had a lot of financial aid that would have been available to me to use for college through the program that Kentucky has, but my my college would not accept it. Okay, mm. they could have, but the way it worked out is if they accepted that money, then that meant that the state of Kentucky then had the right to come in, right. And I don't know if it was like dictate what was taught, but basically have a say right. mm. in what was taught. Yeah. And that was the reason why Southern Seminary would not accept the however many thousands of dollars I could have had in scholarships. Mm. So it, it at least did. There were strings scenario. attached. Yeah, the, it, it comes yeah. with strings mm-hmm. attached. Because that's yeah. how like Hillsdale is around yeah. here. I know they don't take any government take funds. Anything. And so Southern Baptist Seminaries don't take any government funds at all. At least the Southern Baptist Theological <laughs> Seminary didn't. The, the well, I mean, I, I, yeah, the whatever. Ohio State the, University. Yeah. No, but like, <laughs> so, yeah, Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, didn't. Hmm. They don't. Mm. I didn't know that. Mm-mm. In Moody Bible too, um, all it's all grant, um, all like private owners, and everything's given. So, to actually undergrad, the students get to have free tuition because of all their private donors and their but it's no government funding whatsoever i wonder i wonder about um if you're like a gi bill guy who got you know like if you were hmm. if you got out of the military could you go to seminary could you go to seminary on that bill i don't Hmm. know that would be a fascinating thing to to explore to see if they would let you use those dollars The only place really for me i don't mean amanda where we've seen this like intermingle which was kind of weird is in monroe with the foster care system and uh, that stuff, Catholic Charities is very much involved mm. to where, like, we would do visits at Catholic Charities, like, with the right. things. And mm. I wondered how I, – I never asked. Mm-hmm. that The people working, I don't know if they would know anyways, but just, like, are you getting government funds? And are they determining mm. what you can do and how you can do it? Because mm. I know some Christian uh, adoption agencies had uh, – they were going to lose a lot of money because they would not, they were standing against uh, adopting children to homosexual couples. And uh, what, the biggest Christian agency went back on that because they wanted the money from the government still. And they weren't going to get it unless wow. they would start doing that. And they said, okay, we'll start doing that. It was, was that World Vision? No, it was. Uh, I don't know. Mm. I know that Sunrise Children's Homes in Kentucky has had that same issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know wow. what their decision was. Uh, I can't imagine that it would be to receive the government funds, mm. but that's been an issue there. Mm. Wow. Yeah. But that's just some intersection, I guess, yeah. of this. You mm. don't sure. really see it at the mm. local church level, yeah. you know, yeah. but you do see it to where some churches are like, Oh, we'll help the community with this. You know, we'll start taking this on and it's gotten bigger and they were getting some government funds and it's like, now you got to choose. What are you going to yeah. do? Mm. You know? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So we, we do see it happen and take place. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we talked about the state, but then let's talk real quick about the church. It is to be separate from the state, obviously, um, to be given full freedom. It We are to render loyal obedience, it says. Um, so we're to obey the government in all things, not uh, contrary uh, to the revealed will of God. But lastly, and I think this is a very important point, the church carries, it's a spiritual institution, and it carries out its, min- its mission with uh, spiritual means, not by means of the civil power. Um, that's very important for us and what our understanding of our mission as a church, mm-hmm. um, because, um, we want people again, 
in your calling as a citizen to be involved in the state. Mm -hmm. But whatever, whatever our job is as church, we don't use the state's power to do that at all. Um, the state, the church should be, should be supported by the church, by the people of God and the work should be carried out by the word of God. Um, and that's, that's really about it. Um, we don't, we don't get to carry the sword. We don't get to go around and, uh, force, um, uh, businesses to shut down or to do anything like that, right? We can't go around and do that. We we don't do the civil uh, sword stuff. We we carry out our mission mm-hmm. by spiritual means, by prayer, the word of God, um, and that's about what we've been given, right? Yeah, and we shouldn't want to do that, right? I mean, we've been given the best thing to give to people, and it wasn't money. You know, God didn't say, here's all the money in the world, church, you hand it out, figure out how it's going to be. It wasn't anything like that. It wasn't even really influence. <laughs> right. It was, you have the gospel message, and now go and use it wisely. Go and share it. And so we have the privilege to be able to offer this free gift to people, to say that this is what God has done for you through his son, Jesus. Do you, by faith, accept this free gift of God? And we don't want to hold people to a sword and say, Oh, they said yes. All right, they're in. We don't we don't want to do that. We don't also want anybody saying, I'm in regardless of what you say. No, no. You know, we don't want to have this other authority. Like Spencer said, I don't want to go around closing down businesses. Oh, you're not holding God's standard. You're out. You're out. You're out. No, that's not my right. I can not go to that business sure. because I think it's wrong. Um, I could even encourage others, like, maybe you shouldn't go there, right? Um but no, that's not what we do. We simply share the gospel. And with those who accept the gospel, we become family with them. And we love them. We care for each other. We're united in Christ together. And that's what we do. We don't go beyond that. We don't do We do not do less than that. And as a church also, we have the ordinances that God has given us. We get to administer Lord's Supper, which the state shouldn't do, and baptism, which the state shouldn't do. That's for us to do. Mm-hmm. And so our authority, really, I was just speaking with someone about it recently, our great authority in anyone's life would be to say, you can't observe Lord's Supper. You can't come Mm -hmm. to the table. Or to say, no, we're not baptizing you because of this, of what our, but that's really our authority. We don't have any other, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Right. Uh, And we need to remember that. Uh, But again, remember, I think some would see that and say, gosh, and the church is so weak. No, don't forget the one thing we have, the gospel, is the greatest thing in the world. It's mm-hmm. the greatest thing. And the state doesn't have that. Nobody else has that power. God's given that power to us, his church, right. to use, and we should do that and stick to that. Because I'd like to say that's what we're good at, but we're it's what we're good at, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. I guess that's yeah. a way to say it. That's what we got. <laughs> that's what we have. That's what we got. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Well, good. Well, I hope this has been encouraging to you, thinking about religious liberty. It's an important topic, um, one that I think that's very um, appropriate for our current uh, day and age. So thanks for listening, and take care. God bless.